Good stuff, huh? Yes. Exciting times around here at Desert Breeze. We just finished up uh, the, the most successful year in the history of Desert Breeze in 2014, and we're excited about 2015. Good to have you with us. Welcome to Desert Breeze Community Church. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Romans chapter 12. We'll be looking at verses 1 through 8. This is our Dare You to Move 2.5, Unleashing the Power of God. Part 3, Giving. You can follow along on your notes there. 2 Chronicles 16.9 is the theme of this series. I love this verse. Hopefully this verse is just kind of going deep into your heart. Listen to what it says. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to give strong support, to give his power, God's power. How many could use God's power this morning? Show of hands. Yep. How many could use his power every moment of your life? Absolutely. To give his power to those whose heart is blameless, not sinless, but fully devoted toward him. Dare you to move to a life that is fully devoted to Jesus Christ. When we started Desert Breeze in our home over 20 years ago, this was the underlying conviction. Whatever the capacity for human sin and suffering, the church has a greater capacity through the gospel for healing and wholeness. That's really based on Romans 1.16. For we are not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the salvation of everyone who believes. It is for the salvation of everyone who believes. First, the Jew, and then the Greek, basically saying the whole world. And uh, the church is the hope of the world, Matthew 16.18. Jesus said, I'm going to build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail. God is building his church. He's building this church. And so what does it mean to be fully devoted to Christ? I've got it written down there for you. This is just by way of review. People radically devoted to Christ. That's G1. We have a 5G process here, a full devotion to Christ. Relentlessly passionate to grow in Christ. That's G2. Irrevocably committed to serving one another for Christ. G3. That's what we're talking about this weekend, contagiously dedicated to reaching those outside of Christ, G4, that's what we'll talk about next weekend, evangelism, and then we'll end the series by talking about being motivated by the glory of Christ. What does it mean to live our lives for His glory, G5? And when we do this, we will experience an unleashing of God's power in and through our lives. So that's, that's where we're headed. Let's begin with a word of prayer. I'd like to pray our campaign purposes. They're twofold. You can see them there. I'm going to pray through those this morning. Then we're going to dive into our text and unpack these notes. Would you bow your heads with me? Let's pray. God, we are excited to be here today. We love your presence because in your presence is fullness of joy and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. And God, uh, Father God, we can cry out to you as our Abba Father, our Daddy, because your Son, our Savior, cried out on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus got what we deserved so that we could receive all that he deserves. And so God, through this series, through this campaign, we pray that you would inspire us to be more fully devoted to your son, our Savior Jesus, in taking steps of faith in our 5G discipleship process. May we learn how to walk with you, live your word, contribute to your work, and make an impact in this world, all for your glory, so that we together 
can raise the money for the purpose of development and enhancement of our church home to its fullest capacity to better reach seekers and build believers to full devotion to Jesus Christ. We pray these things in Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. Take a look at this text. I'm going to read through the text. From this text, I have five characteristics of giving Christians. We're going to draw from this text. I'm going to read completely through this text without commentary. That may surprise you a bit. But uh, yeah, I'm going to walk through it very quickly, and then we'll look at our notes. And so Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 8, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern What is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect? For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we though many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. This is the word of the Lord to us this morning. Five characteristics of giving Christians. You'll also notice on your notes, I discovered this a number of years ago. It was just an amazing discovery. It had always been there. I just needed to learn it. And, and so since then, I have passed it vigorously onto our church family. And that is fullness of life and full devotion to Jesus Christ are one and the same pursuit. If you want to find the deepest satisfaction to your soul that you could ever find, it's only going to be found by living your life for God's glory. God's glory and your satisfaction are one and the same pursuit. Fullness of life and full devotion to Jesus Christ are one and the same pursuit. So the more you are devoted to him, and it goes right along with the Second Chronicles 16.9, the theme verse, and it goes right along with, with our theme verse here at Desert Breeze, John 10.10, 10, where the second part of that that Jesus said, I came that you might have life and have it to the fullest. And so the more you are devoted to Christ and committed to him, the more you're going to experience a quantity and a quality of life unlike you've ever, ever experienced. And um, we have a 5G process here, as as I've stated, and we've already looked at the first week of this series. A genuine Christian is committed to, to Christ and a church family. And then last weekend, we talked about a growing Christian who's committed to the disciplines necessary for spiritual growth. Now, if you were not here, I would recommend that you go back online and listen to that uh, because that's the DNA of Desert Breeze and how the gospel transforms our lives. How do you you get beyond those stuck points sometimes in your life? And we talk about that, and we also talk about how important uh, spiritual disciplines are. This is a spiritual discipline, being here on a weekend service. And so hopefully you're here because you want to increase your capacity to experience more of God in your life. And that's what spiritual disciplines are all about, and that's uh, what we talked about last week and how the gospel transforms our lives. And so this morning, we're talking about being a giving Christian. So if you're genuine, you're going to be growing. If you're growing, you're going to be giving. They're, they're interrelated. They're progressive. 
And so this is the, the normal progression in the Christian walk, Christian life. A, a genuine Christian will be a growing Christian. A growing Christian will be a giving Christian. It'll just be the overflow of your life. So a giving Christian is committed to using their time, talents, and treasure to serve their church family. And how are we to do that? I talked about it last week. Second Corinthians 9, 7 it says, do not give grudgingly or under compulsion because God loves what kind of a giver? Cheerful. Yeah, cheerful. In fact, the, the Greek word for that word cheerful is, uh, we get the word hilarious. Isn't that interesting? So hilarious, hilarious, uh, and hilarious giver. Why would you be hilarious? Kind of like, <laughs> yes, another opportunity to give. See, that would be the normal response of someone who's had an amazing grace explosion take place within their heart and life. That's what the Bible's saying. And so he says that in the context of the two most powerful chapters in the New Testament for generosity, radical, hilarious generosity, chapters 8 and 9 of 1 Corinthians. And so... 2 Corinthians chapter 8 gives us the definition of grace, so it only makes sense that in that context you're going to see this idea of generosity. And so chapter 8, verse 9, 2 Corinthians says, For you know the grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for our sakes he became poor, so that through his poverty we might become rich. And then the next chapter over where it says, Do not give grudgingly or under compulsion because God loves a hilarious giver, and then it goes on, for, because God is able to make all grace abound to you so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. <laughs> That's a, I mean, every time I, I think about those verses, they're, just, they're really overwhelming. He uses this word, he, he basically covers all the bases for us, so he uses that word all, 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 he covers all the bases, but he also uses another word there, and he says abound, twice in that verse, abound. It's like a river overflowing its, its banks that your life becomes so full of the grace of God that you can't help but want to be generous and, and love others, and you're going to do it in a, in a hilarious, cheerful, radical way. And so five characteristics we're looking at here from this text, giving Christians, number one, dedicate their lives. We see that in verse one. Did you notice this? He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. I appeal to you, therefore. So he's talking about, really, the first 11 chapters. Therefore, he's looking back. He's now coming to this place in this letter, Romans. Paul is writing this, and he says, therefore, because of what I just said in the first 11 chapters, which is pretty profound, pretty amazing when you begin to understand what he's just said, and he's really given us a clear presentation of the gospel. And he says, because, and, and to the degree that you understand this is to the degree your, your heart is gonna be transformed and now give your life to God. Be a living sacrifice to God. Um, I, I prayed it in our prayer. In essence, we could say in the first 11 chapters, Paul is saying, we can call him Abba Father, our daddy, because his son, our savior, cried out on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was forsaken so that we will never, ever be forsaken. 
See, that's the gospel message. And this is what separates Christianity from all the major cults and religions of our world today. This is what I love about Christianity. See, every other major cult and religion is good advice at what you must do to be right with God. Christianity is good news about what God has done to make us right with him. It's not based on your performance. It's based on his performance. It's a done deal. All you need to do is put your faith in Jesus and enter into it. Oh, my goodness. It's amazing. And what happens is that he, he first of all, it's, and, and, you, and we talked about it the last couple of weeks, justification, sanctification, glorification, sanctifi- uh, justification, he sets us free from the penalty of sin. He forgives us of all of our sins, past, present, and future. There is therefore now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. That's, that's pretty significant, but it's, but it's beyond that. He not only forgives us of our sin, but he invites us into his home so that we can call him Daddy, our Father. And, and then... And, and it's, even, it's even better because so that's justification and sanctification is that he indwells us with his presence. Oh my goodness, I love his presence. I, I, hopefully you got a sense of his presence here as you were singing these songs earlier. I certainly did. I certainly did and I'll tell you what, I just absolutely love his presence. His presence will never leave us or forsake us. Nothing can separate us from his love. I mean, when you begin to realize, listen to me, when you begin to realize who it is that walks through your day with you, never to leave you or forsake you, you know how profound that is? You can face anything. You can face anything. God is for you and not against you. See, he's just spent 11 chapters talking about that, trying to pound it down deep into our heart, and now he says, oh my goodness, I appeal to you because of what I just said. Give your life as a living sacrifice. That just, it just makes sense. And so, so, past sins forgiven, present problems managed, and one of these days I'm checking out of this joint, okay? I'm getting out of here. And the older I get, the more I look forward to being with him for all eternity. My future's secure. My future's secure in him. I take my last breath on earth, I take my first breath in heaven to be with my Savior for all eternity. And, uh, and that's what he's talking about. So he says, when you begin to think about what he's done for you, and when you study the Old Testament in, in Isaiah 52, and it tells us, it prophesies that he will be so beaten, he will beaten, be beaten beyond description, bludgeoned bloody beyond description, and he did that for you and I. And when, you, when that gets a hold of your heart, you're never the same, and you want to be reminded of that week in and week out, so that goes deep into your heart and it changes the way that you live. And so what he's saying here, really, in this first verse is how can you come to terms with someone who gave himself completely for you without you giving yourself completely to him? A living sacrifice. I give you, I give you my life. And, and, uh, and he says, so I appeal to you, brothers, Therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. Mercies is not, it's not the general mercy. It's, it's the personal work of Christ. It's all that he said in the first 11 chapters. To present your body, body meaning your vehicle, all your life as a, as a living sacrifice. And he says here, it's the only reasonable way to respond. You'll notice there in that first verse, the, the, the end of that verse, it says, which is our spiritual worship. Now, if you have the ESV, it has a little footnote there, and you look down on the bottom, and it actually says the word spiritual means rational. Anybody have the ESV? You can do that. Did you see that down there? So it says rational, and it says just makes sense. So to not do so, to not live your life for him, give your life to him, is not just stupid, is what it's saying, but it's, it's wicked. 
Why wouldn't you want to live your life for him? So what does that look like? Let's talk about that just for a minute. I gave you some other cross-references here to help us to unpack that, this living sacrifice. Romans chapter 6, verses 13, 16, and 19. Let me summarize those verses here for you. Basically, he says, don't present your members or your body to sin, but present your members or your body. Live your life for God. And he's almost saying that as if you really only have two choices. You're either going to present yourself to something or someone, or you're going to present yourself to God. You're going to live for God. And that's true. That's 100% true. Whether you're a Christian or not, we all live for something or someone. You can't exist unless you live for something or someone. Everybody lives for something, and that something is the Lord of your life, whether you want to call it that or not. And that Lord that you are living for, you are sacrificing for. You're giving your life to whatever that might be. And whatever it is that you you are living for, when you seek it, it will control you. When you get it, it will disappoint you if it's not Christ. And when you lose it, it will devastate you. Say, people will say this, well, I know you Christians, you all have to live for Jesus, and I understand that, but I don't live for anybody. Well, I, I beg to differ with you. You're living for something. Maybe you're living for your, for your career. Believe me, it will drive you into the ground. It will drive you hard. Or maybe it's not your career, maybe it's romance. Believe me, that will disappoint you. And if you're to lose that, that love, that love of your life, it will devastate you. Maybe you're the person that says, hey, I don't live for anything, I don't give my heart to anything. Well, then you're gonna sacrifice your life on the altar of your independence, and you're gonna die one lonely person. Everyone lives for something. What are you living for? That's why he's saying, and he said in this, and as I, as I stated, it's, it's to not do so, not to live your life Living sacrifice for God is, is not just stupid, but it's wicked. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20, another set of cross-references here help us to understand this idea of living sacrifice. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? Now think about that. The Holy Spirit comes to live within us. We put our faith in in Christ, and the Holy Spirit comes to live within us, and, and so our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. You are not your own for you were bought with a prize, so glorify God in your body. All that you think, all that you do, all that you say, do it in such a way that puts God on display. So how do I know that I'm, uh, I'm on track? Here's a couple things, and I gave you plenty of space on your notes this weekend. I'll let you, if God speaks to you something, just jot it down there. But how do I know that I'm on track? I'm a living sacrifice. Here's what you will see in your life. You will diligently obey all that he commands because he is infinitely wise. I mean, you're just, you're just gonna, you're gonna diligently study his word and, and obey him. You're gonna say, I'm gonna obey him in every area of my life. Here's another thing you'll do is that you will patiently accept all that he sins because he is perfect in love. How many would say that you've had some things come into your life that you didn't really like or want show of hands yeah and yet because you know that he's he's perfect in love you're going to patiently accept all that he allows to come into your life 
That's part of that living sacrifice. It also means that you will trust in the Lord with all of your heart, heart meaning passionately and fervently, because His unlimited power is working for you, in you, and through you. Now, if you're going to do all of that, we've got to go number, the second point here, number two, eliminate distractions. We've got to eliminate the distractions because there's a lot of distractions. So if I'm going to dedicate my life, giving Christians dedicate their lives, and then they eliminate distractions. He says in verse 2, and he kind of helps us to understand this a little bit more, more clearly. He says something that's, uh, he says, uh, living sacrifice. That almost sounds like a contradiction. It's purposeful to be a contradiction. He's saying, I want you to be a living dying. A living dying? That doesn't make any sense. A living sacrifice. That's what he's saying. So he's saying that we're going to die to something so that we can live, so we can really begin to live. And this is, so he says, do not be conformed uh, to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So there's something that's going to take place in our life. First Peter chapter 1, verses uh, 14 through 15, it says, as obedient children... I love that, the way it starts off. As obedient children, he's our daddy, he's our Abba Father. Do not be conformed to the passions, notice how he says this too, the passions of your former ignorance. He's just saying, that's a, the way you used to live, you're gonna live differently. You're not gonna be conformed to this world, you're gonna be transformed. So he says, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy. Oh, he's in categories beyond categories. The relationship you now have with him, he's holy. You also be holy in all your conduct. The word holiness means, so holiness, H-O-L-I-N-E-S-S, means holy devoted, holy, W-H-O-L-L-Y, Devoted, wholly devoted, every dimension of your life you're going to want to live for him because he's holy. So let me ask you this. What's the biggest distraction in our life? And what, what do we have to, uh, when it comes to not being conformed to this world but be transformed, what's, what is it that would distract us? Turn to the person next to you and see if they know what, what is our number one, what is your number one biggest distraction for your life in full devotion to Jesus Christ? Real quick, do that. Ask the person next to you. Okay, how many were thinking, like, uh, I'm your biggest distraction? Not me, but you, okay? Like you. How many were thinking, like, I'm my biggest distraction? Anybody? So if you were thinking kind of along the lines that I'm my biggest distraction, bingo. Because here's our biggest distraction and what we're bombarded with in this world, that life, that life is about me. So you are your biggest distraction, I mean, there's even a Christian version of it. Uh, Christian Smith calls it moralistic therapeutic deism, where God becomes a means to an end rather than the end. It's about God making much of me rather than me making much of God. Listen to me. It's the air we breathe, particularly here in good old God bless America. It's all about me. I mean, both secular and Christian self-help books offer the same predictable steps. Consider your dreams. Clarify your goals. Aim for the stars. Believe in yourself. 
Be disciplined and never give up because you can achieve whatever you set your mind to. You deserve it. And like I said, there's a Christian version of that. You can turn on the TV. You can hear guys out there that make it all about you. The Bible would, would say completely contrary to that. I mean, it is possible to reach all your personal goals and be a raving success from the world's standards and still miss, and still miss the purposes for which God created you. And that would be an infinite and eternal tragedy. What did Jesus say in Mark chapter 8, verses 36 through 37? He said, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses what? His soul. His soul. He also said in that same context, what can a man give in exchange for his soul? That's why I like what Francis Chan says. He says, our greatest, our greatest fear should not be a failure but of succeeding at things in life that don't really matter. I mean, we see it all around us. And uh, so life is not about you using God for your purposes, but God using you for his purposes. There's an interesting uh, illustration I came across a number of years ago. It was Francis Chan, and he was talking about the, the Rocky movie. How many have seen the Rocky movie? Yep, how many have seen all 25 of the Rocky movies? Yeah, it was like way too many. I think after the first or the second one, uh, same, old, same old thing. But, uh, but Rocky I is an interesting movie because in that movie, if you don't watch, you know, if you watch it really closely, you'll, you'll catch this. But in that movie, there's that scene where it's playing the music, da 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 and Rocky's running the steps of the court building there in Philadelphia. You guys remember that? And when he gets right to the top of the stairs, you'd have to really watch to see this because you're too busy watching Rocky, but there's a guy in a green jacket, and he says, go, Rocky, go. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Okay. Here's what's interesting about that. Let's just, let's just pretend that that's you. And so they're getting ready to release the movie to the theaters, and so you call up all your friends and you rent a movie theater and you say, hey, you got to come and see this movie because it's all about me. <laughs> and so you invite all your friends and all four or five of them show up. <laughs> and they're on the edge of their seat because this movie's all about you because that's what you told them. And they're like, I mean, it takes forever. Where are you in the movie? What, I'll, I'm, I'm coming up. I'm coming. Can you keep watching? And then all of a sudden, you're on the screen for a second, and then you're gone, and you go, they're like looking at you. They would think you are delusional, <laughs> wouldn't they? But not near as delusional as most people on planet Earth that think that this, this movie called Life is all about them. And when you look at the Bible, the Bible says, wait, creation, fall, redemption, restoration, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Who's the hero of that story, of this story, of his story? History is about his story. It's not us. It's not us. It's about him. That's why a lot of times I'll listen to people give their testimony, and sometimes at the end of the testimony I'll ask, who's the hero of the story? It sounds like they're the hero. 
It's like, they didn't make much of Jesus. It was almost like, hey, they were able to overcome a lot of obstacles. Look at how great they are. Woohoo! Wait a minute, it's not about us. It's about him. And believe me, God has given us, the Bible says that this life is, a, is like a vapor, and he's given us a few seconds at the top of the stairs to say, go, Jesus, go, and then for all eternity, in light of eternity, I mean, this is just a vapor. In light of eternity, this life is just a few seconds in the big movie called Life, and he gives you an opportunity. The movie's not about you. It's about him. And, and that's, that's one of our biggest distractions. We have to eliminate that big, that really big distraction. And so how do I know that I'm beginning to eliminate that big distraction? Well, I will, I will diligently obey, I will patiently accept, and I will trust in the Lord with all of my heart unconditionally. No if clause. I, too often I hear people say, well, I'm going to, okay, I'm, I'm going to give it a shot for a little while. I'm going to try to live for God, but if he doesn't, whoa, 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 wait, that if clause, whatever, follow that if clause back, and that's what you're really, really serving. That's what you're really sacrificing for. God's a means to an end because you have an if clause. You have no idea what you're thinking or saying. Do you not realize in the top 10 list, the 10 commandments, when the Bible says you shall have no other gods before me, that's an invitation to a love, a peace, and a joy most people only dream about. And it's found in him living our life for him and for his glory. That's the biggest distraction we must eliminate from our lives if we're going to live a life, living, dying kind of life, dying to self and living for his glory. That's where we're going to find the greatest satisfaction. There's nothing more life-liberating or soul-satisfying than to live for his glory because that's what you were created for. You are created by God for God to give glory to God. And then number three, We've got to balance this. Certainly, we've got to balance it. We've got to evaluate, evaluate our strengths. So, so, giving Christians dedicate their lives, eliminate distractions, and then number three, evaluate their strengths. Verse three, he says to think with sober judgment. It means accurate. Don't think too highly of yourself. Don't think too low of yourself. So life is not about you. We got that one. But I got to take it a step further. We got to bring some balance to it. This isn't about beating us, you know, beating you up or beating, beating ourselves up. Because the Bible also says, everybody look up here. You're not an accident. You're fearfully and wonderfully made. Have you ever read Psalm 139? It's breathtaking. Because he talks about how God knit us together in our mother's womb. With his hands, he's, he's just intricately working in our lives, and he has our days numbered for us. And, and his thoughts about us outnumber the grains of sand on the seashore. Oh, my goodness. What amazing value, dignity, and honor before God. I, I don't think that we hear that enough, so let's, let's practice it. Uh, last night, uh, they had a tough time with it. The first service did a really good job with it. But once you turn to the folks next to you and say, to them, look them in the eyes and say, you're not an accident, you're fearfully and wonderfully made. And then at the end of that, you need to go, wow, okay? Just to add a little bit to that. Go ahead, do that real quick. Yeah. 
Okay, it sounds like some of you are going to have to practice that one a little bit more, okay? I mean, think about that. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. You're not an accident. Hey, regardless of the circumstances, regardless of the circumstances of your conception, how you were conceived, your parents might have been surprised. But listen, listen, God was not surprised. God was not surprised. You're not an accident. He was not surprised. He had you in his heart before you were even conceived. That is amazing. That is crazy when you think about that. And uh, so we've got to balance this. Yeah, it's not about me. It's, it's about God. And yet, and yet, you are a unique, one-of-a-kind, original, of incalculable dignity, value, and honor. You were created by God to be an image bearer of God. I, I look at my, my kids. I look at my grandkids. They're all unique. I mean, I look at them and I say, Whoop, God certainly didn't mass produce any of these. <laughs> this wasn't some kind of an assembly line here because these kids are all different. They're unique. It's a fascinating. It's just amazing when you see that. I'm, just, I'm in awe, especially when you read through Psalm 139, you begin to see what God has done. And, uh, and the Bible even takes it further in Ephesians 2.10. And it says, we are his workmanship. So not only has he not mass produced us, and we are unique, one-of-a-kind originals, image bearers of God, but he's doing a work in our lives. And it says that we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works. So he's got specific works for us to do based on how he's working in our lives. The word workmanship literally means masterpiece. It also means uh, the word, the Greek word there is poema, where we get our word poem. Isn't that interesting? So we are his workmanship, his masterpiece. Gives a whole new meaning to the phrase, you're a piece of work. <laughs> you are a piece of work. That's the idea here. Workmanship, masterpiece. Only you can be you. No one else on earth will ever be able to play the role God planned for you. He created you because he wanted you. He wanted you. He loves you. He pursues you. He wants to invite you into this relationship with him. And it's simply irresistible when you really understand the gospel. It's just, it just it's, it blows you away. It, it, it overwhelms you. It overtook me years ago. It overtook me years ago, and I've never been the same. And I can't hardly, you know, I just I want to tell everybody about what, what he means to me and what he's done in my life and this relationship I have with him. If you don't make your unique contribution to the church family, it won't be made. And here's what's also interesting is that God, God never wastes anything. He wouldn't give you your unique shape, and we use this as an acronym, shape, S, spiritual gift, H, heart, A, ability, P, personality, E, experiences, life experiences. He would not give you your unique shape if he wasn't going to use it for his glory. He's going to use you for his glory. He intends to use you for his glory. And now listen to me. You've got to get this because I talked about evaluating your strengths. Your most effective ministry, your most effective ministry will come out of your Deepest hurt and misery. 
just that's how he works. He wants you to be a trophy of his grace. And so when people hear your story and you share about his redemption and you share where you've been and your brokenness and how he brings wholeness and redirection to your life, they will go, oh, my goodness, there's hope. There's hope for me. Your most effective ministry will be out of your deepest hurt and misery. I mean, let's face it. Who can better minister to someone who's struggling with drugs than someone who has struggled with drugs? Who can better minister to someone who's going through divorce? Did you know it takes sometimes three to five years to get through a divorce? Who better to help someone through divorce than someone who's been divorced? Who better? Who better to help someone who's lost a child than someone who has lost a child? Your most effective ministry will come out of your deepest hurt and misery. The very experiences that you have most regretted or resented wanting to most hide and forget are the ones God wants most to use in you to help others. But you've got to be willing to share them and not cover them up. We tend to cover this stuff up. We don't want to tell anybody about those things in our life. And those are the things that draw people to our Savior when they see where we have been and our brokenness and what God is doing to restore our lives. We've got got to be willing to share them and not cover them up. And I have people tell me this all the time. Because of the vulnerability that we have here at Desert Breeze, they say that it's in my weaknesses. When I share weaknesses and God's redemption and restoration in those weaknesses, that encourages people more than, than all of my strengths, than all my strengths put together. Now, it's, it's important to share your strengths. There's no doubt about it, but there's a way of sharing your strengths. And in fact, it tells us how we should share them. 1 Corinthians 4, 7, what do you have that you did not receive? And if you received it, why do you boast as if you didn't? So he's saying, don't boast in your strengths as if you did it on your own. You can highlight God in your strengths, but your greatest strength will be your weakness and where God has brought you through and to by his grace. There are some needs only you can see. There are some hands only you can hold. There are some people only only you can reach. Evaluate your strengths. And then number four, collaborate with others. So, giving Christians dedicate their lives, eliminate distractions, evaluate their strengths, and then they collaborate with others. Verses four and five is a strong argument for being involved in a local church family. Let me read four and five once again. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body. So he's using, kind of giving us an anatomy lesson of the body, human body, and saying it's like the body of Christ. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. And so you can also see another anatomy lesson in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And you can also find more gifts found in Ephesians 4. Let me kind of walk you through this anatomy lesson by Paul. He says what he's teaching us here is that every member is a minister in Christ's body. So you probably didn't know this, but when you put your faith in Jesus... You're in full-time ministry. So, it, so no matter where you go to work, you're in full-time ministry. I'm not a minister. I'm an administer. I'm here to equip the saints, you, for what? Works of 
ministry. My job is to equip you to minister. Our leaders are here to equip you for ministry. How many uh, ministers do we have at Desert Breeze? 12, 1,300. That's a lot of ministers. Yeah. Some of them need to get going. Okay? But we got a lot of ministers. We got a lot of ministers here. And that's the idea. Every member is a minister in Christ's body. Every member has a different function. So you don't compare yourself or compete with others. Don't compare yourself with others. You compare your accomplishments with your capabilities. But don't ever compare yourself with someone else. You're not supposed to be like them. You're supposed to be you. Be who you are. I mean, when I look at my body, I like my nose. It's needed. I like my feet. My nose smells. My feet runs. Sometimes my feet smell and my nose runs. <laughs> Sorry, that was bad. And I like it. I like, I like my nose. I don't want to get rid of them just because it does that. My wife wants to get rid of me sometimes. But, uh, but, but I, I want every part of my body. That's the idea here. Every member has a different function. Here's the next one. Every member's ministry is important. Let me ask you this. Which is the most important light in my house? The big chandelier in the dining room? How about the little night light when I wake up in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom and keep myself from ramming into the wall and stubbing my toe? How many would say that's a pretty important light too? But here's the most important light in my house, the light in the refrigerator. <laughs> all of those lights are important. They all have a different function. That's why the Bible says, let your light shine before men so that they can see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Whether you're a chandelier, a nightlight, or a little light in the refrigerator, it doesn't matter. What matters is that you can use that light to point to our Savior and give glory to God. That's important. Here's the last one from this anatomy lesson. Every member belongs to the others. When we use our gifts together, we all benefit. Listen, this church outgrew me back in my home. There's, there's folks here this morning that they started in our home with us. We got people that still attend Desert Breeze that were in our home, and it grew from 16 to about 40. As soon as we hit 40, it was beyond my ability to minister to folks. And it was necessary that everybody that was a part of that church begin to get involved. And then we moved into the boys' club, and we, moved, and we grew from 40 to about 150. And, and so we, we just continued to grow. And with each new growth pattern, it required more and more people to get involved. Every member belongs to the others. When we use our gifts together, we, we all benefit. If others don't use their gifts, you get cheated. If you don't use your gifts, they get cheated. We all get cheated. And so we've got to collaborate with others. Here's number five, activate their gifts. Giving Christians dedicate their lives, eliminate distractions, evaluate their strengths, collaborate with others, and activate their gifts. Notice what he says in verses six through eight. He's just talking about the gifts, and he says this, this phrase, let us use them. 
Let us use what God has given to us for his glory. 1 Peter 4.10, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace, multidimensional grace, that we become channels of his grace to people in our lives. You have both a primary and a secondary ministry in your church. Your primary ministry is where you're gifted. Your secondary ministry is where you're needed. It's, it's, uh, your gifting reveals your ministry, but your servant's heart reveals your maturity. Your servant's heart basically says, I want to be used wherever I'm needed. It's easier to discover your gifts through ministry than to discover your ministry through your gifts. I didn't know that I could teach until I started teaching. All the inventories that I would take up to that point never really told me that I was a teacher until I started teaching. And then people said, hey, you do a pretty good job. You ought to keep teaching. Oh, really? Okay, maybe I, I'll try that. And I, I continue to do that and expand that. But it was by getting off the bench and into the game. It was by, by doing it. You'll never know what you're good at until you try. I've got a book in my uh, office in my library, and it's titled this, If You Want to Walk on Water, You Gotta Get Out of the Boat. I want to introduce you to some water walkers here at Desert Breeze, and yeah, I want you to hear this, these testimonies. Each week we've been sharing testimonies with you, <laughs> and they're so profound, they're amazing. And these are trophies of God's grace, and this represents how the gospel can transform our lives. Watch this. My name is Gary Velasquez, and this is my wife, Carol, and we've been married for 11 years, and we've been going to Desert Breeze for nine and a half years. We actually came to Celebrate Recovery before we came to Desert Breeze, so we've been in Celebrate Recovery for nine and a half years as well. I love to help others and to um, give back what I've been given, and it just feels so good to help others and to see them succeed and conquer their addictions or any whatever problems they're having and it's just like that living water that Jesus talks about in the Bible yeah um, I think of a giving Christian I think of somebody that's totally out of themselves and looking for other people's needs to help and they give them this help whether it's, it's money whether it's time whether it's just to um, help somebody understand the Bible or whatever they're that they need um, it, that's to me what's give, what giving is all about, is helping other people. And it gets you out of yourself. It's a more rewarding life. It's, it has more uh, meaning, more purpose. My name is Amanda Connor. And my name is Luke Connor. And we have been going to Desert Breeze for about two and a half years. When we first got married, we were horrible with our finances. It was like a goal to pay tithe, and a lot of times we did, but sometimes there wasn't enough money. And there really reached a point in our life where I said, you know what, I either believe that God's gonna take care of me or I don't. And if I believe that God's gonna take care of me, then I'm gonna put my tithe in every week. We never had a problem after that paying our bills. It's, it was, yeah. I, I don't really know how else to describe it. And, and it says in the Bible too, that is one of the one things that you can actually, you know, call him on and test him on is if you do tithe like that, that he will take care of you. I mean, you might not get everything that you 
you think you need or, you know, that your heart desires, but he will, he takes care of you. And it's just, it's an amazing thing to see actually happen. Um, my life before Christ was uh, basically a train wreck. It was chaos. It was everything was, every aspect of my life was in ruins financially, um, our, our relationship. We were isolated. Um, Desert Breeze has so many classes to help in these areas, and we took them all, so we needed them. I was engulfed in alcohol, drugs. We were homeless together. Um, I was in jail. I went to a mental hospital um, several times. Um, I tried ending my life several times. I even shot myself and tried to bleed out, and I, I almost died, yet uh, God had a different plan for my life. For those that know me, um, and those maybe that don't, Before I got saved, I went through a really, kind of a, not a great time in my life. So, when I tell people that Jesus saved my life, I quite literally mean he saved my life. So when you talk about a hero, he's my knight in shining armor. I mean, you're a nice one, but... Nothing like Jesus. He delivered me. He saved my life. And so that, to me, is um, it's my Jesus. I mean, it's beautiful. It's like the one thing in life that you can count on. So you, you fall back to it and you say, well, I don't know about this, but I know Jesus. And I, I don't know what's going to happen, but I know God's with me. And, you know, that was the response that, that made me want to give in the first place. It's like, well, I don't know what's going to happen with the finances. I don't know what's going to happen with the circumstances, but I know God's going to take care of me. He's the one person that I know knows exactly how I feel. He's the one person that has been there with me through everything that I've gone through. And yet, I turned my back on God. I didn't care about God. I never even had any uh, use for Him. And yet, He still pursued me and loved me. Um, I just will never forget that, and I want to spread that to other people too, because I know there's a lot of people out there that are hurting and think that God doesn't care about them, and I want to tell them that He does. I know from personal experience that He does. So yeah, He's definitely my hero. You know, Jesus said uh, to build into the kingdom of, of God, and uh, that's exactly what you do when you um, get involved in the Dare You to Move campaign is that you're building into the kingdom. You're touching people's lives that you won't even know yet. There's a lot of people that are going to be coming to this church just because it's starting to grow. And it's really just giving to God because these are God's people. We're God's people. We dare you to put your trust in God and hold nothing back. We, we dare, dare you. you. <laughs> we dare you to put your faith to the test. We dare you. What do you got to lose? Let's give him a hand. It's good stuff. Outstanding stuff. So let me ask you, what's your next, what's your next step?
What's your next step? Full devotion to Christ. Three weeks ago, we talked about uh, a genuine Christian, somebody who's made a commitment to Christ and to a church family. Last weekend, we talked about uh, a growing Christian, commitment to the disciplines necessary for spiritual growth. Life change happens best in small groups. We talk about that. And then now, today, a giving Christian, uh, you give of your time, your talent, and your treasure. There's no shortage of opportunity to get involved here at Desert Breeze. You'll see there in your bulletin, one of these, plugging into ministry. You can fill that out and drop it in the box. Also, for those of you that call this your church home, make sure you read this. At the end of this campaign, we'll be asking you to make a commitment. We're needing to expand this place. As you can see, we are, have been packing this place out for three services, and uh, so we're heading in that direction to be able to utilize every 36,000 square foot of this place that God has given to us. And uh, don't forget, uh, right after this service, we have a newcomer's party right in here. And we'd love to see you. If you're new, I would love the opportunity to meet you this morning. If you'd come up here, I'd love to give you a coin to get a free drink from our cafe. Love to meet you. And if you'd like to have prayer this morning for any reason, feel free to come up. We'd love to pray with you. And um, I love you guys a lot. Really do. So let's pray. Would you bow your heads with me? God, thank you so much for your amazing grace. These testimonies just uh, continue to stir deep within our hearts of, of the gospel, of what you can do through the gospel and bring life change. So God, help us to be giving Christians who dedicate our lives, who eliminate distractions, who evaluate our strengths, who collaborate with others and activate our gifts for your glory, our time, our talents, and treasure for your glory in Jesus' name. And everyone said... Amen. God bless you. Don't forget Linger, our night, Linger night here this uh, coming Wednesday night right in here. God bless you.